Uh, well, this is, um, as I mentioned last week, week 10, and um, tonight is on coveting. Anyone here covet today? Anything? I did a couple times, I think. Um, before we get going, I'm going to do, this is, this is kind of infantile, so you can check out if you think it's too infantile, but last week I was having a conversation actually with Sherry, and she was like, hey, do you remember a couple years ago you did that kind of goofy thing about like memorizing the Ten Commandments, and, and she's like, hey, you like, could we do that again? And so, if, if you, again, if you want to check out, that's totally fine. It, it is very silly, I will admit. I, uh, this, I learned this when I was, I don't know, in like college or something. I was listening to the radio one day, and there was someone on there was uh, talking about like, you know, memorizing, what's the, what's the word for, is it mnemonics? Is that the word for like learning how to memorize stuff? So anyway, so I'm going to walk through the Ten Commandments, and the goal is that at the end, this will just take like a couple minutes, that you will be able to remember not just them in order, but any particular one out of order. Okay, that's the goal, but you have to use your imagination. So like I said, it's a little goofy, it's weird, bear with me. Okay, number one, first commandment, picture in your head, picture the number one. Can you do that? Picture the number one. Picture the number one turning into a pen that you write with. And that pen draws a line from left to right. Okay, above that line, the pen writes in all capital letters, G O. And then below that line, the pen writes in, in small case letters, G-O-D-S. Okay? Do you see it? Okay. The number one, the first commandment, anyone, any guesses? Do not have any other gods above me or before me. Okay. You see that, the number one, the pen? Okay. Picture the number two in your mind. You see it? Picture the number two, and imagine the number two, it turns into a swan out on a lake. Can you see that? It's like that, sh that, that same shape, okay? So the swan, number two turns into a swan, it's out on a lake, and all of a sudden the swan turns like golden. It turns just beautiful gold. And everyone who's around this lake sees the swan, and they're like, oh, that's beautiful. And all of them bow down to the swan, and they start worshiping this golden swan, okay? Second commandment. Do not make any graven images and bow down and worship them, okay? All right? Number three. Can you picture the number three? Okay, picture the number three turning into like a giant pair of clown lips from the side. You know what I mean by that? Like, okay, can you see that? Big red clown lips. And all of a sudden, these, these, these clown lips just start like cursing, like uttering like the worst things you could possibly imagine, the language that's coming out, okay? Taking God's name in vain, just saying horrible things, right? So third commandment is, do not take the Lord's name in vain. Okay. okay. Number four. Can you picture the number four? Not the kind of four that has the two ends that are like separate at the top, like a four on a clock. You know what I mean by that? Where the ends kind of go together. Are you with me? Okay. So the number four, picture that number four. Picture the number four turning into a sail on a sailboat. Can you see that? And there's a father and a son, and they're walking down to the dock, and they're going to go sailing on this sailboat. And all of a sudden, the little boy goes, no, 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 Dad, we can't, we can't go sailing today. And he says, well, we can't go sailing today because today's the Sabbath. We can't sail on the Sabbath. Okay. So fourth commandment is, yes, keep the Sabbath. Honor the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Okay. Number five. This is maybe the one that would be the biggest stretch if you haven't seen this. Okay. My kids, have you ever drawn the number five, and then you turned it into a Snoopy, like, like the hump on the five becomes his nose. Have you seen this? Kids do this. This is it. You need to have kids in. So they draw like a five, and then they turn it into like Snoopy wearing a hat kind of thing. 
I'd never heard of it before, but my kids do this. So picture the number five, if you can, and if you know that, that bit, picture that number five turning into Snoopy. And Snoopy is sitting, uh, he, he's got the, that white um, kind of uh, wig that a judge has over in England, you know, and the big black uh, gown, cape, and, and he's sitting up at a, a place of prominence like this, and there are a bunch of little dogs down there, and, and he's telling, you need to listen to your parents, you little pups, okay? I know. Fifth commandment is honor your mother and father, okay? Six, this may be the weirdest one. Number six, picture the six like a monkey tail that's hanging. Can you see that? Like a, like a hanging monkey tail, it just kind of you know, goes like that, and you can pan up and there's a monkey attached to the monkey tail, what do you know? And this little boy is, picks up a hammer and he's chasing this monkey around to kill it. He's, he's gonna hit it on the head. He's trying to hit this monkey on the head and kill it. He's, and someone says, what are you doing? You're gonna, you're, gonna, you're gonna murder this monkey. Don't do that, there's monkey brains all over. Sixth commandment, <clears throat> you shall not murder, okay. Seventh commandment, I know, I know. But you may remember, I heard this like 20 some years ago and I still remember at least, okay. Number seven, picture it like an upside down golf putter. Can you see that? Okay. And, and this, this person is, is holding it and they're chasing their spouse saying, don't you put around on me. Okay, do not commit adultery. Okay, got it? You with me? Putter? Don't put around him, you get it? Little pun? Okay. Number eight. Tur picture number eight turning into a snowman. Can you see that? Right? It's cold out, it's snowing, and there's a couple walking across a yard where the snowman is. And all of a sudden, the snowman pulls out a gun and says, Freeze. <laughs> get it? Yeah? Give me your wallet. Okay. Eighth commandment do not steal. Okay. Ninth commandment, picture, picture a balloon at the end of a stick. So like a stick and then a balloon, not a helium balloon, so it's kind of hanging to the side. Can you picture that? Like the number nine turning into that? Like the stick with kind of the balloon hanging? Okay, so ninth commandment. And a little boy's holding the stick, and he, he throws it on the ground, and, and he lies on the balloon. And his father walks in and says, stop lying on the balloon. He goes, I'm not lying on the balloon. He goes, I see you're lying on the balloon. He goes, I'm not lying on the balloon. He goes, you're lying on the balloon. Okay, ninth commandment is, yeah, lying. Do not bear false witness, okay? Last one. Now you have to be, you have to, if you're too young, you may not get this, but um, picture the number 10, okay, can you see it? And picture the, the zero falling down to the side to where the one is sort of like the backboard of a basketball hoop and the zero is like uh, um, the, the rim on a basketball hoop, you see that? Now, if you were around when Michael Jordan was playing, do you remember, do you remember the song? I wanna be like Mike. I wanna be, wanna be like Mike. Do you remember that one? I wanna be like Mike. Do you remember, does anyone remember the song? This was a song. It, was a, it wasn't like an advertisement for all the Michael Jordan Nike stuff. Everyone, everyone wanted to be like Michael, right? So the 10th commandment tonight's is, you shall not covet, right? Wanting, wanting something you don't have, okay? Okay. Commandment number one, what is it? Yeah, the pen, drawing, do not have any gods above me. Commandment number two, turns into the swan, golden swan, do not worship any idols. Commandment number three, the big clown lips, do not take God's name in vain. Commandment number four, the sail, can't go sailing on the Sabbath, the honor Sabbath, keep it holy. Commandment number five, 
This is a Snoopy, right? Honor your mother and father. Commandment number six. It's the monkey trying to kill the monkey. Don't, do not murder. Uh, number seven, the putter. Yeah, do not commit adultery. Number eight, yeah, the freeze, the snowman, do not steal. Number nine, do not lie. Remember the balloon lying on the balloon. And number 10, friend wants, do not covet. Okay. Go over this a couple times. You will never forget it. It's because it's such an absurd thing. Okay. And you will be able to, uh, what's, what's number six? Yeah, murder. What's number two? Do not worship idols. Uh, number eight. Do not steal. Number one. Okay, number seven. Do not commit adultery. Uh, number ten. Do not covet. Uh, what didn't we hit? Nine. Did we hit nine? Nine. Do not lie. Uh, number four. On to the sad. You guys have the Ten Commandments memorized back to front in any which way, right? See, you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> if you, seri- I mean, seriously, go over it in your head once more today, later tonight. Go over it once tomorrow and one, do three days in a row. You will have the Ten Commandments memorized the rest of your life because it's such an absurd thing, right? It's such a crazy thing. So anyway, hope, hopefully you've, you found that Tell me in a year if you found that enjoyable or interesting, okay? So, so tonight, uh, you can, if you're mad, you can talk to Sherry afterwards. Um, tonight, we're going to be looking at number 10. I want to be like Mike, okay? We're looking at covetousness. And in your bulletin, uh, there, there are the two times that the, the command appears. Uh, the first one, of course, as we've mentioned, is an exodus. And then, of course, Deuteronomy is the next generation of people... Uh, who, who didn't die off wandering in the wilderness, but their kids, and right before they go into the promised land, they get the covenant reiterated to them. In fact, they, they, they enter into the covenant again. It's like a second wedding ceremony with God of saying, yep, we are committed to this. And so we have them listed twice. And so Exodus 20, verse 17 says this, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or male or female slave, or ox, or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. That's the one given to Israel immediately after they are uh, delivered out of Egypt. They camp at the foot of Mount Sinai for a year, and this is part of that covenant ceremony. The next generation who gets it, Deuteronomy 5.21, it's restated virtually the same, slightly different order. Neither shall you covet your neighbor's wife, nor shall you desire your neighbor's house or field or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, what's really interesting, think about, notice how the Decalogue, remember the 10 words, the 10 commandments as we call them, the Decalogue begins with the phrase, I am the Lord your God. Verse 2. Exodus 20, verse 2. I am the Lord your God, so have no one else besides me. It begins with that. What are, the, what are the last words of the Decalogue? Look on the paper there. What are the last words in both versions? Last two words. Your neighbor. It begins with, I am the Lord your God. It ends with your neighbor. And between these two subjects lies all of the, we could say, moral space of the commandments. And that's what we've been saying every week. This is all about, and this is why when Jesus is asked, what's the most important thing about doing life right? What does he say? 
love the Lord your God with all your heart, your neighbor, right? He's, he's, he's understanding what the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, the Ten Words, are framing. It's about my relationship with God, and in a way that's undetached, also my relationship with, with my neighbor and seeking their good. And so when we come to this one right here, this uh, commandment of covetousness, two questions that, that immediately might strike a careful reader. The first is, how is this commandment different from all the rest? Because it is. Have you thought about that? Think about every commandment is referring to people's what? Their actions, their behavior. What is this referring to? Starting with, anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not starting with behavior. It, it leads to that. It's attached to it. But this is the one that has to do with something immaterial that you can't really even see. It's not primarily about actions and behavior. And so at the close of the commandments, we get to what is the core issue for God. And that's this word, desire. That seems to be a core issue in my relationship with God is desire. And what are the, um, the repercussions for the particular desires I have? What are the ramifications in life, this way and that way, horizontally and vertically, for the desires that have grown and festered and the ones that I've nursed in my life? That's pretty relevant, isn't it? because I'm not even sure exactly what all of that is in my own life. But it also shows me that God cares not just about giving guidance to external, like how you do business and how you talk. It's important. He, he, he cares. He also cares and wants to give guidance to feelings, attitudes, desires. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. So here we also see this critical distinction between a sin and a crime. The first nine are all crimes, meaning they're punishable. And they're crimes because people can see you do them, right? You get in that boat, the sailboat on the Sabbath. <laughs> um, I saw you on the sailboat, right? No one can see this one. Who knows about this? Only God and only the individual if they're self-aware enough, right? Those are the only ones who can be aware if covetousness, and we'll kind of unpack that, has crept into life in this, in this way. Second question, the order of it. Why does this one come at the end? Uh, is there any significance to it? During this series, we've talked a little bit about some of the significance of why some of these are grouped the way they are. But there is a rationale to this one being last. And here's the point. Violating the 10th commandment, this uh, one about uh, coveting, leads to violating one through nine. In fact, that's where any one through nine starts by 10 happening first. The violation of 10 is, 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 the, is the starting point. Um, and we were talking in our previous, uh, or in our pre-service meeting and Joe Cruz, our guitarist, he goes, so it's like the gateway sin? I go, yeah, I like that. I like that. I'm going to use that. <laughs> so yeah, number 10, it's like the gateway violation of the life God's calling me to live. So it kind of has a place of prominence in this way. But then here's, um, uh, here's the other thing is it also 
has to do with starting over again, which we'll, we'll say something about in just a couple of minutes here. And so let's just break down the command itself and hopefully see some kind of um, observations. I would suggest that this um, commandment of do not covet kind of has two legs to it, if you want to think of it that way. It has two things that God is saying, this needs to be restrained in your life, and this needs to be restrained. Okay, so that's kind of all we'll talk about tonight is these two areas that need to be restrained. The first one that that needs to be restrained is is the the desire that leads to a violation of the well-being of my neighbor. That's the first one. That's the first thing that God is looking to restrain is that I don't violate the flourishing of my neighbor, of those God has put in my proximity. Let's do this. Let's, um, this whole series hasn't been very narrative. <laughs> We've been just kind of looking at text. Let's read a story that I think will, will, will be a narration that gets to the heart of this issue. First Kings 22, this will be up on your screens or if you want to open your Bibles or turn them on or however you want to read. Um, many of you will be familiar with the, the evil king, Ahab. Ahab is the king, the, the nation is split by now. This is post-Solomon. There's the north and the south. Ahab is king in the north in Samaria. And he's, this is a guy who's married, remember his wife? Jezebel? Don't, don't name your child Jezebel, by the way. Um, <laughs> So here's, here's where it starts, 1 Kings 21. Sometime later, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth, the Jezreelite. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the place of Ahab, king of Samaria. Ahab said to Naboth, let me have your vineyard for use for my vegetable garden, since it is close to my palace. In exchange, I'll give you a better vineyard. Or if you prefer, I will pay you whatever it's worth. Really, the idea is like, whatever you want. He's, he's, he's overpaying even for this, willing to. But Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. Now, what he's referring to there, do you remember when Israel came into the land and they were given sections by tribes? Like, okay, Judah, you've got this section, you've got that section. And so it's this idea of there's land tenure, <laughs> meaning it's like, this is my family's community. You don't just go giving that away. So there's even some idea that he's maybe trying to go against that very way of, you know, the way the economics and society works here. So it's pretty insidious. Uh, but Naboth replied, uh, I've read that. So Ahab went home sullen and angry because Naboth the Jezreelite had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my ancestors. He lay on his bed, sulking and refused to eat. His wife Jezebel came in and asked him, why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? He answered her, because I said to Naboth the Jezreelite, sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I will give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Jezebel said, uh, Jezebel's wife said, is this how a king, you king, uh, you act as king over Israel? Get up and eat, cheer up. I will get you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, placed his seal on them, and sent them to the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city with him. In these letters, she wrote this. Proclaim a day of, of uh, fasting and set Naboth uh, in a prominent place among the people, but set two scoundrels opposite him and have them bring charges that he has cursed both God and the king. 
Then take him out and stone him. So the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth city did as Jezebel directed in the letters she had written to them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth in a prominent uh, place among the people. Then the scoundrels came and sat opposite him and brought charges against Naboth before the people saying, Naboth has cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and they stoned him. Then they sent word to Jezebel, Naboth has been stoned to death. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, get up, take possession of the vineyard that Naboth the Jezreelite, that he refused to sell you. Uh, He is no longer alive, but dead. Then Ahab heard that Naboth was dead. He got up and went down to take possession of Naboth's vineyard. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He is now in Naboth's vineyard, where he has gone to take possession of it. Say to him, this is what the Lord says. Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? Then say to him, this is what the Lord says. In the place where the dog licked Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood. Yes, yours. So a pretty dark story, pretty dark picture here, right? But think about which commands were broken because of the the 10th command being violated. Which ones? Since you know them all, you should be able to say. Lying, okay, number nine. Stealing, number eight. Murder, number six. Okay. Uh, any, any false witnesses? Um, yeah. Um, so, we, I mean, the, the third commandment, uh, as far as swearing to something, right? There's the false testimony. Um, you see that th- this, was, this was the gateway sin. This is what sort of it opened everything up to. Let me give you kind of a, a definition of coveting that we can kind of take as we go. It's, it's not just an enthusiastic desire to accumulate or to get something. That's, that's not it. It's much more insidious than that. Coveting is, is, is like a festered and, and a nursed strong desire Strong enough that it actually leads to, to calculated actions, planned is what I mean by that, planned calculated actions to take something from someone else, whatever that might be. So again, it's not just, oh, I have a, I have a drive, I desire, I would love to buy a piece of land. That's not it. It's much more insidious than that. And so the narrative also tells us that, that covetous obsession to get someone else's things, it may involve legal moves as well as illegal. It's not always an illegal thing that's done. For instance, um, King Ahab, initially he goes and he, he just proposes something. He was covetous, even though he wasn't breaking a law, a, a crime in that way, and yet covetousness was still in his heart. And coveting almost always involves planning. It almost always involves uh, devising or scheming in some way. That's what the, the prophet Micah said. Listen to Micah chapter two, verses one through two. He says, woe to those who, what's the word there? Plan iniquity. To those who plot evil. And what's the phrase? 
What does that remind you of the story we just read? (laughs) In their beds. Where did Ahab go as soon as he went home? He went into his bed. said, I wonder what he thought about. Well, Micah seems to have an idea. At morning's light, they carry it out, these evil things, because it is in their power to do it. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them. They defraud people and their homes. They rob them of their inheritance. See, here we can assume, as, as in any period of human history, but especially in the, in the sort of contemporary world, that the line between legal and illegal, when it comes to people having a, 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 a covetous, strong desire to acquire something, it's very shady, isn't it? Um, the, there are schemes out there that suck people into uh, mortgages designed, not illegally, but designed to entrap people in them in such a way, um, or, or, or maybe in a way that they actually lose the mortgage piece of property, or there's disreputable but legal uh, credit card plans that entice people into making huge purchases that maybe even put them into permanent financial hardship in their way. But what is all of that, what, what does that all stem from? All, even legal decisions, it stems from this deep desire for something that leads to these actions to exploit, to, to take in some way. Now, what's the scope of this, of this command? The scope of it is universal as we look in Exodus 20, 17 in your bulletin again. It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or male or female slave, or ox or donkey, or he just kind of goes, I'm done listing things. Anything, like fill in the blank, right? Anything at all, it is absolutely universal. Um, and the commandment, it's, it's divided up into three sections. There's um, real estate, this is property, anyone's possession, it might be water rights, if there's a well that they have, anything. That's, that's the idea of your, your house. And then um, people in the home, it's family, it's servants or slaves, it's animals, and as we said before, animals, remember that's, that's food animals, clothing animals, and work animals, because they've functioned in all of those different ways. This is the means of production. You go after the means of production of anyone. Now, let me just stop and say this, because I, um, it's always helpful. We've, we mentioned a couple things about this. Questions come up like, what's the deal with the slaves thing, <laughs> right? And is that the same thing as like what I think about, you know, American slavery? No, it's not. It's, it's not what's, what's going on here because in all the statutes that follow this chapter, what they have in mind is what's called bonded slaves or bonded servants. Bonded servants are people who have sold themselves because they maybe were taken advantage of, what they, they've lost their money, <laughs> they can't pay, and there are no credit cards back then. So you, you sell your abilities until that is paid off. But they are different than an ox or a sheep because they actually um, have a claim on the master's things. For instance, listen, listen to this, Deuteronomy 15, 12. It has in mind someone who's in this case. Deuteronomy 15, 12. If any of your people, Hebrew men or women, sell themselves to you, because they've gone into debt, and serve you six years, in the seventh year you must let them go free. And when you release them, do not send them away empty-handed. This is interesting. Supply them liberally with your flock, your threshing floor, 
and your wine press. Give them as the Lord your God has blessed you. Now think about the incentive for the slave who's working for this person. There's an incentive here to work well for him, isn't there? <laughs> your master does well. When I get free, I get more of his stuff. Interesting. Um, remember that you were slaves, he says, in Egypt. And the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. So there's a brilliance. So there's actually incentivization for the, for the slaves to work well for the master because when they leave, they actually have a claim on the master's things. It's sort of maybe something similar to um, earning shares in a company that, that you're invited into. Okay, so the first... Um, first thing that we said was kind of the leg of this was the idea of the command was given to restrain the desire in a person that would lead to the destruction of another, their neighbor's well-being in a way. The second one, second restraint that's given this is um, it's a reminder of the potential self-destruction of desire. Even when it has nothing to do with another person, even when no one, you know, I'm not harming anyone else, <laughs> even when no one else is harmed by this idea, that it can take us over internally. It can actually become something that, that, that we're obsessed with. It actually becomes a God. There's an interesting, look at uh, Deuteronomy 5.21 in your bulls, and I want you to underline two words as we go. Deuteronomy 5.21 it says, uh, neither shall you, underline the word covet. Uh, neither shall you covet your, your neighbor's wife, neither shall you underline the word desire. It's interesting. The, the, the root, the two root words for used here, covet and desire, they're not used anywhere in scripture together, except here in one other place. They're never ever used together. You know where the one other place is that these two words are used together? I'll read it for you, see if this sounds familiar. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and ta'ava, that's the root word used there, pleasing to the eye, and also nahmad, was desirable, those are the two words, that the only time they're used. The author's linking it back. You know what happened there? That's the same idea going on here. For gaining wisdom, she took and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. He took, right? Then their, the eyes of both of them were opened. And they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Genesis 3. See, in the biblical story, the human predicament begins by desire that has, it's just no restraint. <laughs> That's how the whole story, the predicament got going. Absolutely uncontrolled desire. The human origin of world chaos, and think about kind of what our subtitle is in this series. The, the human story of world chaos began with coveting in their hearts in Eden. And Eden was lost, absolutely lost. And because of that, the human story becomes filled pain, toil. So the reason covetousness is so dangerous is because it puts in peril what you were designed to become, like end game. What's in, what does God have intended for you? And God says, if you do this, you'll ruin it, I promise. 
You will spoil what it is that I have planned for who I want you to become. Exodus 20, verse 2. Remember, going back to the first one, I am the Lord your God. I don't have any others. That's, that's, that's the starting point. And that's actually the end game too, is that God would say, we have relationship, we have intimacy together, but if you do this, you're putting that into peril. You're moving yourself outside of the possibility of us having intimacy together. Covetousness, it creates a rival for God in my own life. I would say the biggest danger to the kingdom of God in my life is the kingdom of Brent. <laughs> it just is. That's the biggest threat and danger to me living in the kingdom of God is that the kingdom of Brent rules instead. So the power of the 10th commandment is that it returns us back to number one. <laughs> the 10th commandment brings you right back to the starting point and what is the most important thing that there is. It forces us to ask, is there anything in my heart's desires that is supplanting God as like that first place, having no other gods, nothing else before him? Is there anything in that way? Are there any rivals? And see, this is an important point. I would suggest to you, we are not, as sort of the Greek line of thinking has suggested, we're not primarily rational creatures. What I mean by that is this, the philosopher Aristotle said, the human being is a rational animal. Now, we are rational, but what he meant by that is, what's at the core of a human, what's, what's the engine of a human being? It's rationality, it's thought. That's what drives us. That's what creates movement in your life, is the fact that we are these rational creatures. I would suggest the Bible paints a very different picture of that. We are creatures driven by our loves. The classic word for that is affections. Whatever it is that you have cultivated to love, that is your driver. That is your engine. That is my engine. That is my driver. Think about it. You chase what you love, don't you? You do what you love. <laughs> I do that. I do what I love. It's just this natural thing. That's what drives me. Mere intellectual information, a, you know, a rational, buttoned up, very you know, precise argument, it might be interesting and fascinating and convince me. It doesn't move me. What moves me is whatever I have fostered my affections to go after in life. One of the more helpful ways to think about that and my relationship with God is this um, wonderful language by this uh, Lutheran scholar. Let me just read this for you. He, he says, the commandments stubbornly keep our desires directed toward God. To be clear, desire as such, it's not the problem. He's not saying stop desiring. It is not bad, he says. Indeed, we are created as creatures with desires. To be human is to be desiring. All of our desires, however, are created to come to rest in their one ultimate good, and that's communion with God. He says, Augustine's famous sentence from the Confessions, you have made us and drawn us to yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. He says that expresses how our desires to find rest and fulfillment only in God. And I love this. He says, if other created things are, are elevated to a position of the ultimate good, 
in, in, in careless exchange, meaning like, you know, it's a car and then it's a house and it's a relationship. Like if I keep trying to put something like in the ultimate place where my, where my desire can rest, like, oh, <laughs> like I'm finally satisfied kind of thing. If I, in, in, uh, in ceaseless exchange, coveting is the unavoidable result. Man, that's scary. Since none of these created things will ultimately bring our desiring to a rest. Without desire, we would cease to be human. Without God, as desire's ultimate end, we become inhuman. I think that's profound. I don't know about you, but I want my desires to come to rest in God. Like, don't you want that? I don't, because I don't have that all the time. I wouldn't say that I'm there. But I want, I want to live in a place where my, my desires, like th- that, that engine in me, that's what I mean by that. There's a rest <sighs> in who God is. It doesn't change the external world. I'm still longing for things and loving things and desiring, and that's okay. He doesn't tell me to stop. But my ultimate rest, my ultimate love, <sighs> it comes to rest in God. See, the goal is that I would learn to love things in the right order. <laughs> love first things first and second things second and third things third and fourth things fourth. That I would learn to, to have my affections, again to use a classic word, honed in. See, think about parenting. I don't know about you, if you're a parent, I've got four kids. I don't just want my kids to obey morally. I do want that, <laughs> Right? What I really, really want, though more than that, I want them to learn to love the good and to hate evil. It says that in the Old Testament. It says, love good, hate evil. It's one of the most profound statements in the whole Old Testament. But that's something that I have to learn. It has to be shaped inside me. My loves and my affections are being shaped by every tiny little decision I make throughout the day. little overwhelming thought. But that's absolutely true. See, sin isn't loving the wrong things. Sin is loving the right things too much. That's why I think Jesus said, you remember a statement where he said, seek first, what do you say? Seek first the kingdom of God, and then what? Then you can seek all the other stuff too. That stuff's okay to seek. <laughs> but only if your, your ultimate engine of love has come to rest in God. If it has, then you can seek all this stuff. You invert it, you lose both of them. <laughs> That's kind of a scary proposition. See, what the 10th what the commandment does is it puts a mirror in front of me and it identifies the brokenness in my life. And I would suggest that none of the other, other nine, you know, besides this one right here, has quite the ability to uncover that level. And I think that's exactly what Romans 7, 7 through 12 says. Um, Listen to these words, okay? I think this should be up on the screen. Paul says in Romans 7, what then should we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if I had not, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it was to covet, he identifies, If the law had not said, don't do it. (laughs) But sin, seizing an opportunity in the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness, he says. Apart from the law, sin sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, 
Sin, what's the word? Revived. And I died. And the very commandment that promised life proved to, to be death to me. For sin seizing an opportunity and the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. So was the law holy? First, the law is holy and the commandment is holy and just and good. The, there is a comic that I think if Paul would have been aware of, he would have drawn this in like right after Romans 7 because it captures exactly what he's going to say. Have you seen this one before? This is, this is the essence of human nature. Can you read it? The sign says, absolutely no machete juggling. And the man standing there crossing the street, older man with his wife, says, suddenly I have an urge to juggle machetes. <laughs> That's what Paul's talking about here. He's saying the law, this particular law right here, of don't, don't covet, don't long for that, Actually, it doesn't cause me to sin. It shows me how sinful. It shows me, oh my gosh, God's not at the first place at all, right? I want to juggle machetes. I want to, I've been wanting to do all these things, but I didn't know it until the science said, don't do it. And then I realized I got to do it. <laughs> right? That's the whole point of this. So the question is, what do we do? What's the answer? Is there a secret to this? Because that's a crummy way to live, right? At just at this place. And I would suggest there is a secret to Christian formation. I would suggest the Bible says there is a secret for Christian formation. Uh, Archbishop uh, William Temple, uh, he was the Archbishop in England a number of years ago of Canterbury. He said, one time he said, you know what, if, if you hand me a copy of Hamlet um, or you, you, you hand me a copy of um, King Lear, and you say, go write something like this, that doesn't do me any good. <laughs> Don't give me a book and tell me to do something that Shakespeare could do, but I can't. And he says, if you hand me a life like Jesus and you say, go live like this, he says, that does me no good. I can't go live a life that Jesus could, but I can't. But then he said, what if the genius of Shakespeare could come live inside me? I could write books like that. What if the spirit of Jesus could come live inside me. I could live a life like that. Where covetousness is not this daily thing that's keeping this barrier between God and me. That my heart, <sighs> the engine comes to rest in God. Wouldn't that be nice? And the reality is that's available. <laughs> that's the active presence of the spirit in my life. And Jesus says, that's what I want to do right now. And that's what I want to do tomorrow when you wake up. Are you in for that? Are you good? <laughs> and so what we do to remind ourselves every week that that active power, personal power, the spirit of God, Christ's presence in our life is there. And so we consume this. And this is what I would kind of challenge us with tonight if you're a follower of Jesus. As you consume this, let it be a symbol, a picture of saying, I want, I want to consume you. I want you in me so that I can live this kind of life that, man, I just I can't do in my own steam. Amen?